Welcome back to Water Ride, and I'm Rupert Guinness. And uh, as promised, we've got Aaron S. Lee on the line, direct from New Orleans. And uh, Aaron, as I said before, he's the guy who broke the big story, the Iron Man story about Melissa Halsels and her uh, disappointing decision that she's had to pull out of the Iron Man coming up. Aaron, welcome back to What a Ride. We're missing he- you here in uh, in sunny Sydney in Australia, but uh, congratulations on a great story. But obviously, it wasn't a, a happy story for Melissa. Uh, just tell us briefly, give us a recap of the story and and, and how you got the story. Oh, absolutely, Ruth. Uh, thanks for having me uh, back on. You know, obviously, it, it, uh, Melissa was extremely devastated. This was it's the second year in a row that she's now forced to withdraw out of Kona due to. Uh, both kind of freakish injuries. Um, this year, uh, she found out she uh, maybe about five weeks before competing at the Ironman Asia Pacific Championships in Melbourne back in March that she had a little bout of pneumonia, and she had some struggles with coughing over those few weeks prior to the race. And unbeknownst to her, she actually cracked the rib. She cracked the rib while in one of these coughing fits, um, so to speak, and it, it obviously affected her quite a lot during the race and in the train leading up to the race. Of course, it was well documented that she struggled with some, some feet and blister problems throughout the race as well, but she braved through, um, com- not only completed her second Ironman, full-distance Ironman race, but she won her second. So she's two for two at that distance, after which, though, she kind of fell off the radar for about six months, and and, and she was suffering and struggling a little bit, and and, and, and trying to regain some some feeling in the feet from 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 such a, a hard race. Again, um, uh, she almost actually pulled out of Melbourne at the time, but she she braved through it. She won the race, took some time off, and did a lot of training on the elliptical trainer while still doing the, the lap swimming and uh, obviously um, riding a bike. Over that course, she believed that her bone density um, dropped. And uh, about six, eight weeks ago, she decided to start picking up the schedule again in her training routine she was preparing to go to Kona. And, uh, yeah, to be quite honest, she um, uh, she suffered a – she didn't know until Tuesday. She suffered a stress fracture uh, of her sacrum, which is obviously in the in the pelvis area. Um, for those, uh, you, you're probably well aware of your, your medical and human anatomy there, Ruth, probably more than I am. <laughs> I had to actually look it up when she told me. But she found out through a scan, an MRI scan from her U.S.-based boulder on Tuesday, and she has just been left absolutely devastated. Um, she's obviously a phenomenal triathlete, in her, and she's only been a pro for about five years. To give people a little bit of background on Mel, she was Melissa Rollison, who competed for Australia at the Commonwealth Games in, um, I want to say, 2006 in Melbourne. And she won the silver medal in the 3,000-meter steeplechase. Um, Melissa's running career um, was was shortened a bit by... uh, she would suffer stress fractures quite a bit in the shin as well. Um, she turned to triathlon um, with the encouragement of her of her friend and now manager Phil Stoneman of M5 Management. Uh, big shout out to Phil. Um, but uh, yeah, she turned to triathlon and her first full year went undefeated. Um, she's gone on in that five year span to capture not one but two Ironman seventy point three World Championships. 
She won the 2013, um, I believe it was, ITU Long Distance Triathlon, uh, the world title there. And uh, so she's a three-time world champion. Phenomenal athlete. Um, so she's just absolutely been left devastated. And, and plus, I'm, I'm devastated because I, I, I tipped her. I tipped her to win Kona this year, right? Well, I mean, yeah, like I was about to ask you, I mean, you, you wrote the story for first off the bike, and, and uh, the, the Ironman comp- competitors, particularly her rivals, would have uh, read that, and they would have been surprised probably to hear that news. I mean, um, how do you think that's going to change the race now? Do you think, um, I mean, she would have been, you tipped her, as you said, to, to win this year, but um, do you think it'll change, besides taking out one favourite, will it change the strategy of the race? Well, listen, I, I, she was my favorite. I think if you were to ask our friend Phil Rotner or some of the other uh, triathlon journalists out there and, and, and industry insiders, she probably was more of a dark horse. I, I tipped her because, for, for obviously, Marinda Carfrey, uh, Rennie, uh, Australian as well, mm-hmm. three-time, reigning three-time Ironman world champion. She's never finished off the podium in six tries. Um, she's amazing. Um, but the, the thing with Rennie is, and she's shown this over the last few years and her title defenses, that she's hard to, it, it's hard to outrun her. And yeah. even though she's not a, a super strong bike rider, she, she's shown that if, if, if you, ha- if you don't have more than a 14 minute lead, a uh, gap on her on the run, hitting into transition, out of transition two, she's going to run you down. Well, we but saw, we saw that last year, didn't we? We saw that last year. How, how strong was she? Yeah. Absolutely, but if there's one person in the pro field that I feel she could not run down necessarily with that kind of gap, it's Melissa Hauschel. So again, we're going back to her. You know, she's an amazing runner. Started her whole career off against silver medalist, three thousand meter steeplechase. She's progressively gone to the long distance, and she's done an amazing time. As a matter of fact, uh, finished some of the best splits. Um, at, at, I think the fifth best bike split, I believe, as well. Um, for a female at the at the Melbourne race last year, or this earlier this year when she won the Asian Pacific Championships to earn an automatic regional qualification for for Kona. So I think that I, I, to me, Mel was she was that perfect athlete suited to really give Winnie that challenge that uh, she. And of course, uh, first off, the bike tweeted the story last night as it broke. And Rennie immediately got on there and, and, and expressed her uh, condolences as well. She, I think she's mm. a bit bummed. I think she was looking forward to a little bit of that challenge as well. But, yeah. but it, it does leave the door open for Rennie to, to obviously, you know, go to, you know, compete for yeah. a fourth title. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there, there are a lot of great athletes out there. Liz Blashford, Angela Nay. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of Mary Beth Ellis. I mean, the list goes on. There's a lot of good female athletes out there that will be vying for that title. But, you know, until someone can, can outrace Marinda Carfrey, mm-hmm. she's got to be an odds-on favorite. I think the, the, the amazing thing about Marinda Carfrey is not just her, her speed, you know, in, in the back end of the marathon. It's just her, her confidence and her stride. I remember watching her last year and uh, she didn't look flustered at all. She just had that sort of a self-assuredness when she was running, even though she had to come back from so far. But she knew what she had to do and uh, keeping calm yeah, eliminates so much sort of the, uh, the the stresses on you. I mean, you, you, and you save energy by staying calm, you know, mentally and everything. And, she, and her fluid running style is just beautiful to watch. It just makes you wonder, though, Ruth, because she does give a lot of time away on the bike. And then, and to be honest, she rides a felt IA 
um, time trial bike or a triathlon bike that was literally designed for Miranda Carfrey in mind. It was basically the year that she, I think 2013 where she, she failed to, to, to repeat um, and, and capture her title. Um, they did, they went to the drawing board because they realized that she, she struggles a bit on the bike. She, I mean, really, and I'm going to get the figures wrong, but she's only about five foot two at the hundred, what is that, Roop? The 165 centimeters. She's a, you know, she's only a couple stones. So she's not, she's not, she's a tiny little thing. Mm. And so she's not producing a lot of power on the bike. So they designed a bike that would keep her within that, keep her within that 14 minute range. They felt that if they could keep her within 14 minutes, coming out of T2, uh, transition to following the bike leg, that she has the speed to run and the talent and the skills and athletically to run her competitors down. Again, like you said, she's done that two years in a row now. Um, my feeling was she could not suffer that kind of time loss to someone like Melissa Hauschel. Yeah. And that's where I was so intrigued about this. Again, Melissa is completely devastated. Uh, to go back, to go back to last year, and, and, and I remember, uh, she had a freak accident, which started, it's been a rough 12 to 14 months for her. She suffered a pectoral muscle tear, um, during a, mas- uh, during a massage, the force masseuse, um, that was not her traditional force, um, masseur yeah and he accidentally slipped while while um massaging her pectoral muscles and his elbow grinded in and really ripped the pectoral muscle from the body from the bone gosh that's uh... and i was literally i yeah and, I, and this was only about three days from her defending her 70.3 world title yeah um and and i was literally on the phone with her as she was going to that table as you know group how often have we, when we're not there, sometimes when we are there in person with the athletes, how many times have we interviewed athletes while they're on the massage table? Yeah. And it's a good time for them to, to, to take interviews. And I was literally on the phone. She was in the U.S. and I was, of course, in Sydney at the time. And I was on the phone with her just prior to that happening. Yeah. Um, now, she would go on to race three days later, but she had to pull out following the swim because it, she was in a, it's excruciating pain. And, of course, what was to be her Kona debut um, was uh, obviously sidelined, postponed to this year, and again, yet another freak accident. Now, the good news is they did catch this in the MRI on Tuesday, the fracture and the sacrum, and the good news is that if they hadn't caught it, she could have easily done a lot of long-term damage that would have potentially been career-ending. Yeah, well, so I think... That that's, if there's a good news, if there's a, if there's a good lining in that, it's bad. And she said to me, while she is devastated, she's hungry and uh, probably hungrier than ever to go back to Kona. She wasn't going to go to Kona this year. She, she said, uh, she told me on Thursday, she said, look, I just want to go back to Australia. I don't want to go to Kona. I don't want to sit on the sidelines as a spectator again. But over the, the next couple of days, she, she, uh, she thought it over. She said, no, I'm going to go. And I'm going to, you know, take part in the event and be there and come back even more motivated than ever. She wanted to go this year to win. She said, I was there to win. I wasn't there to get a result. Um, and that's the thing. She, she wants to win. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, it's still going to be great. To, looking forward to, to, the, to the race next week. And obviously, we're going to have the men's race as well, which is always a cracker. I think, um, you know, uh, it's great that we can actually see the, uh, the Ironman live these days now too. So uh, uh, it'll be about this time next week, Australian time, when, um, when uh, it'll all be unfolding. Hey, um, listen, Aaron. Well, while you're there, we can just if you can. Just... Oh, by the way, Rip, are you gonna? Are you, I did not see your name on the elite start list. Um, is that something? 
Have you decided to pull out? Look, or... I've, I've, I, yeah, different muscle injuries, mate. Different, different muscle injuries. I didn't qualify. Put it that way. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I think well, one one thing, obviously, um, Sebastian Kinlay and and Frederick, uh, Frederick uh, Van Leard and those guys, Andy Potts, they'll be racing for the men uh, vying for that top spot. But keep always keep an eye out for the Australian Luke McKenzie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, hopefully, he can uh, produce a good one for for Australia. Uh, Listen, Aaron, if you can just stay on the line, we've still got lots more to talk about. We're going to talk about some bikes, but I just thought we'd just take a break first and then we'll come back uh, after a nice selection of music. Sweet. 
Wilkinson with me on the line still, direct from New Orleans in the US of A, is Aaron S. Lee. Hey, uh, we are talking uh, just uh, before the break about... Uh, about triathlon, the Ironman in Hawaii in Kona, which is uh, coming up this week. But also, in the US, we've had the World Cycling Championships and uh, a terrific win in the men's road race by Peter Sagan. Uh, he absolutely was the strongest rider in the field and probably one of the most popular champions I can recall afterwards uh, for having won the race in the rainbow jersey. But from an Australian point of view, it was an interesting uh, result. Michael Matthews uh, got the silver medal. He won the bunch sprint for second place. Uh, sixth place was his Oracle Green Edge teammate, uh, Simon Gerrans. Now, in the fallout of this, there was a bit of a debate as to whether Simon Gerrans should have helped Michael Matthews try and bridge the gap or to reel in Sagan or not. Uh, the team did stipulate that uh, the Australian team that is not Oracle Green Edge because they race for their countries at the World Championships stipulated there were two leaders, Simon Gerrans and Michael Matthews. Um, and uh, I spoke to Simon Gerrans who said that was the uh, th- that was a discussion before the race and during it and uh, it was clear to everybody as to who had the protected status and who had to work for who. Nevertheless, there was still debate and a lot of people still think that Gerrans should have uh, still worked for uh, for Matthews in the finale there. It could have made a difference. But at the end of the day, it's one of, I think it's one of those could have, would have, but didn't have stories. We've got to move on. But it's an interesting story. I don't know what you felt about it, Aaron, as to uh, who should have done what. Well, yeah, this this story actually goes back to uh, back in December, Roop. I remember, you know, you remember uh, in the off season, uh, uh, Simon Ace, you know, he had a, a mountain biking accident and fractured his collarbone, I believe. And uh, and I remember talking to uh, Matty White about it and I said, look, how does this affect his season? What does this do? Obviously, another another uh, bridesmaid year, so to speak, for the Australians come up. Second, obviously, uh, Garen came up second last year, and uh, in Comparada and in and, and Spain, and, and you just kind of your heart goes out to him because the Australians are so close to get to get that world title again. Uh, obviously, Cadell did it. What what was that? Two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah. So looking for uh, another world title, but uh, this year, you know, it was it was kind of thought leading into the race. At least that was my understanding. You, you may have a different one that this might might be Matthew's year, and uh, but the, and, and the, one of the reasons being for that was uh, the course obviously suited both riders. This year's course in Richmond, it, it did suit both riders, but the the initial uh, stance was that. Obviously, Simon Garrison is going to have a heavy January with the, uh, you know, combined for the Australian men's title and also the tour down under. Well, that all went awry when Simon crashed and wrecked and yep. broke his collarbone. So it meant that his season was going to start later, which meant he would be in better form towards the end of the year. Yep. And, and I remember talking to Matty White while Simon Garrison was in the, the operating room. And basically, uh, Maddie's saying, look, when it comes down to the race, you know, again, it's, it's country. <laughs> and it's Oregon Green Edge is racing for your country. It'll just come down to who's the stronger rider. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's what it did. And, and, and look, um, I think, uh, I think Michael Matthews shows, he's shown me a lot over the last two years. I really like the guy. Mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, I, I like, I like his riding style. Um, he's he's a he's a bit different. He's a you know he's a different cat. But uh, I, I kind of dig that, and I think uh, it would have been nice if they could have somehow worked together and and, and helped either one. 
uh, help the other out to, to take the world title, to take the rainbows? Oh, in an ideal situation, yes. But I think yeah. when you got the green light and you feel like you've got the leg, I mean, I, I would, I would, it, it, it'd be hard for me not to ride for myself yeah. you know, for a world Well, look, this, this is my take on it. And um, I think there's, there's just two points which I think are, are really important is that. Uh, um, firstly, there were the tactics that were that were set aside by uh, uh, Brad McGee, the Australian team uh, sports director and national selector, that both riders uh, were given a carte blanche to, ha- to ride for themselves. So that was outlined specifically. Secondly, I think you've got a case of, as you said, Michael Matthews, an absolutely fantastic rider who's really shown a lot this year. And I think he's matured as well. Uh, and that Tour de France finished by him um, was really important because it's met- made him mentally tougher. And you've got to, so you've got a young guy. He's 25, young guy, you know, just getting better and better with every season. And, you know, Simon Gerrans, who's probably closer to the end of his career than the start, and he's uh, 35, and but he's still obviously in very good form. But they're both natural-born uh, racers. You know, they race to, to, to win. They don't race to to uh, to um, be satisfied with anything less. So you can understand you've put them both in a race. They're both going to ride for themselves. Well, what I really think that, okay, benefit of hindsight, I think perhaps... Um, if you wanted a team, the full team uh, from Australia of nine riders to ride for one rider, that had, decision had to be made by Brad McGee before the race and outlined specifically, and even in, in with a view to selecting the team. You've got to select a team that's going to work for one rider, um, or you do what Brad McGee did, have two riders, and, and uh, perhaps have to put up with the consequences of thinking, gee, we might have won if we had have all worked for one instead of for two. Well, can I ask you this, Rube? Let me let me ask you to put your Monday morning quarterback hat on, and that's a, obviously a phrase uh, coined here in the United States based off the uh, the NFL. But um, just would you have done it differently? Would you have maybe had a different strategy leading in to, to hopefully guarantee um, the, the Aussies a chance at, at the rainbow? I think, uh, gee, I mean, it's a hard call to be to say whether honestly or not because it's hard to say. I mean, you'd be willing to back Garens and Matthews to have a crack at the win, wouldn't you? I mean, um, like it is with with hindsight, isn't it? But uh, maybe this is something I think looking ahead to the future that that Cycling Australia need to address when we select our national team. um, Are we? I think I think in the future we should back one rider and have a B. Have you can have a B plan. But that, that second option is selected on the strict uh, or on the instructions that they uh, that, that they know that they're the backup plan and they're there to be you know the the wingman for the number one rider. But in case if the number one rider is not up to it on the day, they get their crack. I just think it's got to be outlined more in that way. So I still think in future we need to have we need to ride for one. And have an option, you know, as a backup, in the only in the proviso that if the A plan has a, is not up to it on the day or has a mechanical, that that person can, can take over. Well, it's definitely a missed opportunity both years because uh, they're, they're probably not in the near future. Will there be two more perfectly, ideally suited courses for mm-hmm. two such? capable, strong athlete. So it's a missed opportunity for Australia, and it, it might not come back the, the, the Aussies' way again for, for a few years. And, 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 and I'd be looking maybe, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there, Rube, we could be looking maybe a, a future sprint stage for a sprinter, and it could be one Caleb Ewan. Well, you know, next, next year we're in uh, the next, the championships next year are in, uh, in Qatar and Doha, and that'll uh, be set up. Are, 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 you, are, are you calling it that early for the young 21-year-old? <laughs> 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 no, 
nothing like pressure. Nothing like pressure, mate. Nothing like pressure. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, well, but, they, but he, he's shown that he can handle it. The interesting thing is that uh, these guys, uh, Matthews, Gerrans, and we did, you know, speak about Caleb Ewan, but they are riding for Oracle Greenwich during the year, and, and it's one of the great stories or big stories, I think, of from an Australian cycling point of view this year has been the the um, sort of the, the transformation of Oracle Green Edge from being uh, an opportunistic team, team that goes for classics, that goes for tries to sneak into breaks, to being one that's evolving into a, a team for general classification. Their Colombian rider, Esteban Chavez, got a fantastic fifth place overall in the Vuelta when they're aiming for a top 10. We've seen the Yates brothers from Britain. Okay, these are not Australian riders, but they're in an Australian team with an Australian ethos and under the direction of Matt White. Um, who's an Australian, and this team is evolving and it's changing in its setup too, and it's changing with its uh, with its roster as well. But it's evolving in a very positive way. Well, I tell you, I believe whether Chavez or the Yates brothers are Australian or not, uh, their success, the, the 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 fans of Australian cycling, they're quickly embracing those guys as their own, and uh, I think that's fantastic. And I love watching them. You know, talking about Orca Green Edge, what I'd like to talk to you about is just. Simon Clark is gone. He's a Cannondale garment. And uh, he has made the move. And just what's your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, at, at this point in Simon's career, what what do you think he'll receive at Cannondale garment? Obviously, maybe more pay, maybe, uh, maybe a, a bigger role with the team. I just kind of wonder what his motivation was to leave. Yeah, I think... I think um you know, like, uh, like I wasn't stunned that he left because I guess, you know, obviously we hear these things, you know, rumours and murmurs, you know, going, you know, through the season. And then there's this silly rule in Australia and in the UCI and cycling about, you know, no, no discussions about uh, contracts until August 1. Um, but you, you hear things beforehand. But, yeah, I mean, saying that, someone like Simon Clark, who I've thought is, you know, he's a fantastic rider and we've seen him produce some great rides. You know, he won the King of the Mountains in the Vuelta a few years ago, and uh, he had a fantastic ride in a couple of world championships. And where the you know the leaders have fallen out by the wayside because of crashes or whatever, and he's had to be the one to uh, deliver the goods. And um, you know, I think he's a, I think he's got, I still think he's got some great rides in him. And I think by going to where he's going to go to now, he's going to get that opportunity. Maybe at Oracle Green Edge, things are getting kind of crowded with the, as I said, the transformation of the team. Uh, into a general classification team, yet you've still got young guys like, uh, you know, Caleb Ewan coming through who's who's a sprinter. You know, I just think it's there's too, too many people who probably justifiably have their own ambitions but not enough opportunity within that team. So you have to go and search for it elsewhere. And I think uh, he'll get that now. Well, there's been a lot of movements with Cannondale, though. I mean, a lot of changes there with that team. And obviously we talked the other day about young... Kiwi, uh, Patrick Bevan from the Avanti Racing team joining that team. One person that does leave is our friend Nathan Hart. Uh, yeah. he, he leaves, uh, the, the young Cameron, um, the 26 year old. He's, he's going to the MTM Quebec team, which is now, uh, Team Dimension Data, I believe. That's right. Team. South Africa. So uh, it'll be interesting to, to keep following Nathan as well. So uh, uh, definitely we'll stay tuned to how those guys uh, pan out for sure. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for Nathan. I think he's going to fit into that South African team. You know, they're a colourful team, you know, with, uh, you know, they bring a lot of pizzazz to the peloton. We remember the Tour de France and uh, the Eritrean supporters were there as well. And, uh, you know, they really were a great story, but not just a story from, from being different. They were certainly a story for the the way they raced. You know, they're not short of ambition. They, they 
willing to have a go, and they do produce results, you know. And uh, and Nathan, I think, will will be, you know, he's he, he's a guy with personality, and I think he'll be swept up by that atmosphere, you know, of the of the uh, of the team, and um, he'll certainly get some uh, some opportunities himself. They're going to have Mark Cavendish there as well, so. I guess Nathan will probably be on a different program, I'd say, um, racing-wise, because I think the CAV program is going to be very much built around Cavendish, obviously, for the races he does. But the flip side of that, if Nathan does a different program and he'll get his chances, and, uh, you know, Nathan's best is... We haven't seen his best yet, I believe, and I'm looking forward to that, eh? Well, I agree with you completely, Ruth. I think uh, the best is yet to come for for young Nathan Hart. Now, you mentioned Mark Cavendish going to the, you know joining him with Dimension Data. Of course, that's a step down for him from World Tour to Pro Continental Team. And of course, at his quick step, they they replaced Cavendish with a disgruntled Marcel Kittle from uh, from Giant. Um, it, uh, your thoughts on that whole? saga and transition yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it i mean it's it's, it's I, I guess it shows that uh you know um i guess for giant i mean i mean well i guess it shows that they're all i mean gee it's a, it's a hard one isn't it i mean it's it's you know i guess we'll see soon enough with the results really you know um it, it, I, get, I find it a little bit odd just with the musical chairs people moving from one team to the next and just filling someone else's void and uh you know, because at the end of the day, they should be just the same riders, shouldn't they? But uh, I think Cavendish's move to the South African um, team is is a is bigger news than say um, Kittle's move, because uh, I guess Edix Quickstep obviously need to fill that void having a sprinter. But there's a lot of pressure, obviously, on Edix Quickstep to have to have a sprinter, and a, and and that's it's a team which does have a lot of riders built to support a sprinter. So, you know, we'll, and, and there's, I guess there's, there's, a, there's a bit of pressure for Marcel Kittle to perform um, now after a really lackluster and non-existent 2015 season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be a fast and furious start to the year next year. So, um, now listen, Aaron, we're going to keep. I'm already chomping at the bit. I'm already chomping at the bit, bro. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get the 2015 over with now. Let's go to 2016. No, no, not you. I've got to have my holidays yet. I'm got, I've got November leave coming up. I want to enjoy those. But before, <laughs> now, before we're going to let you go, Aaron, we're going, to, we're going to take a little break again, but we're going to keep you on the line because we're going to have a change of pace. Okay, we're going to go to N, um, to uh, I was about to say NRL National Rugby League. I'm getting mixed up because this weekend we've got Rugby World Cup, NRL, AFL finals, but we're going to talk about American football, NFL, after the break. So just stay there, Aaron, and uh, you're listening to What a Ride. Rupert Guinness is myself and Aaron S. Lee. We'll just take a break. I'm going to talk about the NFL and Jared Hayes. We are young.
Well, you're listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness, and direct on the line from the US of A is Aaron S. Lee. Now, we've been talking Ironman, Aaron. We've been talking cycling. I'm getting exhausted, but I hope I'm hanging in with the pace here. It's a really busy, busy time of sport, not just in Australia, but around the world. As I said before the break, you know, we've in Australia, we've got the uh, AFL, NRL Grand Finals. Uh, we've got the Rugby World Cup over in England, uh, where the Wallabies beat uh, England to qualify for the quarterfinals this morning, Australian time. So it's all happening there. But in the US of A, as we've said, a lot's happening there as well. We've had the World Cycling Championships. We've got the Ironman coming up. And, of course, we've got Hain Mania continuing. The story, the remarkable story of former rugby league player Jared Hain, who's uh, contracted by the San Francisco 49ers, who uh, have had three games now into their season. They've won one, lost two. But Jared Hain, in his uh, last game against the Cardinals, he again created a lot of attention with a 37-yard run, I understand. But he's got a big test coming up, Aaron. On Monday, Australian time, they're playing the Green Bay Packers. And I think, as you told me before the break, he's going to come up. He could come up against Aaron Rodgers, the NFL's most valued player, I understand. Well, his team will for sure, Rube. You're right. The San Francisco 49ers are currently one and two. One win, two losses in, in uh, the overall standings, whereas the Green Bay Packers are three. You know, Of course, Aaron Rodgers, the top-rated quarterback in the NFL right now, so Jared won't obviously playing offense go directly head up against Aaron, but his team will for sure. Um, obviously, you'd have to give the nod to the Green Bay Packers, but it's going to be a big game, um, and the, all eyes in the U.S. will be watching it. Um, so it's a great time for Jared to continue showcasing what a phenomenal talent he is. And look, he's what a specimen. You know, 27 years old, he's six foot two, 220 pounds. He's cutting his baby teeth, Ruth. He's just cutting his baby teeth in the NFL, and he's already showing a lot of promise. So I, I tell you, I'm excited about watching, and I, not only tomorrow, but I, I'm excited about seeing what this kid can do. Yeah, in the long term. Yeah, because I think now, now I think somebody was saying today, one of the Sunday papers here in Australia, they're saying now's the time for. Actually, do you know who it was? It was Tim Cale, footballer. Soccer player, oh, wow. you know, he's playing over in China, but he he, he keeps in regular contact with uh, Jared Hayne. They switch, they send text messages each day, you know, uh, you know, before games and everything. And Tim Cale was saying, I think now is the time for for that uh, Jared should be able to sort of just quietly go about his business and, and enjoy the, his career ahead of him. You know, like obviously there's a lot of attention, so you just can't stop the attention like that. But I think he's just hoping that Jared can have a bit of peace and quiet and starts to work, you know, from a long term uh, on his career. But I tell you what, one of the at the City Morning Herald, we had a reporter there, Michael Chamis, uh, who uh, went and saw Jared Hayne earlier this year, and he was there for the last month up until he got uh, up until his first game. And um, he's been living and breathing this story. And uh, we've had a couple of chats with him for this episode. Now, Aaron, in this first episode, one of the things I did speak to him about before we listened to it, I asked him about what was it like being an Aussie reporter who covers NRL, rugby league, suddenly finding himself in the uh, maelstrom of uh, uh, NFL reporting. Um, I don't know how you think that might have been for him. Do you have any views about how that might have been different for an Aussie going over to the US? Uh I don't think it would have been any any more difficult than it is for you know an Aussie reporter at, at the Tour de France amongst the the foreign press there. I think obviously um, uh, there there's at sometimes there could be a little bit of a hierarchy and and but you know you know I, I've seen you, Rupe. You use your elbows and you get in there and you get questions asked. I mean, and uh, you've never been 
you've never been shy about pushing another reporter away, especially the TV guys, and uh, see that firsthand. So I don't think it would have been that big a deal. Uh, and I, I think as well, he would probably have a lot of insights that the the other the other reporters, the the U.S. reporters, um, would follow his lead a bit in dealing with Jared Hayne. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I know. Michael became a little bit of a star over there. We uh, heard he was inter- he was interviewed by radio stations, and uh, he was asked about Vegemite. He was asked about Minute Work. He was uh, asked about what they kept on calling it rugby or rugby union, and when it's rugby league. But uh, he became a little bit of identity himself. And so I thought, you know, this show, Aaron, we love to talk to identities, don't we? Yeah. So I thought I'll go straight oh, to the we, man. We yeah, we can't we can't bring you Jared Hayne himself. But we can speak to the man who spoke to Jared Hayne, and here he is, Michael Chamis. Let's have a look, oh, not a look, let's have a listen to see what he had to say about what it was like reporting and following the story. Well, welcome back to What A Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness, and sitting with me is another one of my erstwhile colleagues at the Sydney Morning Herald, Michael Chamis, who has just got back from almost a month of chasing the Hain plane, Jared Hain, in his uh, pursuit of a, of a career in the NFL. Um, Mr. Chamis, welcome back, mate. And, uh, and just to this brief, uh, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, it's good to be back in You've been following the story before. This is you've been over there before, and you've, you've interviewed uh, Jared. Um, if you don't really know who Jared Hain, the person to when you interviewed him the last time when you were over there. Yeah, I did. I, I think it was a lot more. It was a lot more relaxed than I saw him in April. I think the magnitude was Story, so much copy, you know, every day doing it. I mean, I remember that one of those last stories you did file before you, you came back was what you're just alluding to, where he sort of said he had enough, and I could read within the tone of, of the story that you could felt he was at, at the tipping point. Um, was that an awkward moment for you guys? Because I mean, you'd been there every day, he would have got used to seeing you, but did you, you, you want to get all the story, but at the same time, I guess you don't want to sort of break this relationship that you've developed. Yeah, it felt like we were stalking him for a while. It, it, every time we saw him, he, he'd look at us, we'd look at him, it was like, not again, sort of thing. We'd run out of questions to ask him, but um, to his credit, he we, we developed a relationship with him back in Australia, so he always took the time to answer a few questions uh, on the side after his interview. But it did have that feeling where he just, we'd overstayed our welcome a little bit, um, and he was just wanting to get back to we trying to impress. Because you've got to remember that when you walk into the locker room, and the media are all around Jared. Um, there's probably 
guys in that room will be looking at his wife. He hasn't deserved attention after four weeks in, in the sport. So I think one of the things he was conscious of was not trying to ignore himself and definitely earn respect for players who basically felt they had to earn yeah, his stripes before he could get the right to demand set the stage as he had been. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely... Um, and also the other coaches who there as well. Um, how did they respond to you guys? Were they getting uh, at all testing or anything? Or were they sort of curious about who the Australian leaders are and what they're like? I think at the start they were, they were curious and the head coach was sure probably laughing and enjoying the attention. But by the end you felt as though we might paint them. So they step in the mark a little bit. They felt like... You, want to, you felt bad for Joe. You want to hijack him. Boone, he said, um, uh, I wonder if he brings positive if he mic'd up on the sideline when he put that shoulder charge on. So I went up to him and he turned around to me and said, uh, when he heard my accent, he's like, if you ask me a Jared Hayne question, I swear. And I just turned around and said, mate, I just want to talk to you about beer. And uh, he's happy to talk about beer. But I, I think they all can understand and sort of have appreciation of how big this story is in Australia. So but there are the occasional comments. When you're interviewing him, uh, Jared, the Hayne plane, they were screaming out in the middle of the interview, so yeah, uh, I think we got a little bit uh, tired of that. Now, well, obviously, uh, you know, you saw him, he's, he's transformation into now being a, a rostered player, he's had a couple of games now, but um, uh, when you compare seeing that transformation to other athletes and other sports you've covered, you cover a lot of tennis, obviously rugby league and, and other sports, you know, is there sort of a, a comparison you can make to, to what you've seen and, and what's it been like to write about? Um, well, I'm not an NFL expert, so it's a bit, it was a bit hard for me. Obviously, I've spent a lot of time with Jared, so my focus has been more personal rather than you know, his, his development um, as an NFL player. But I got to understand the game and I got an appreciation for how much he actually worked as a player. He had a number of things that he could pick up and very good what he did such a long time. Uh, even the American journalist was amazing. So, um, I sort of understood where he stood because of the response from the US media. And they were all amazed at what he's what been able to do. Not just, not just from the playbook point of view, but just finding space. They're, they're not aware of rugby league or rugby union players for that matter of how they, you know, how natural they are in space. So to see him do what he did, quite What about the infrastructure around the NFL side, 49ers, for example? I mean, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, f- football here in Australia, whether it's league or union or, or A-league and AFL, um, and state, a stadium, basically a stadium and a locker room, and I guess a lot of it's your IP with your coaches and sports scientists and medical backup staff. Is, is, is everything on a much bigger scale there at the 49ers? Yeah, not just the 49ers, I think the whole NFL. I walked into the NFL offices in New York and on display the 50 odd 49ers Premier the Super Bowl ring sorry um, there and the Premier's there and in, when I walked in Denver the training facility it was I've not even seen here in Australia before it's just two fields there was an indoor field it was just that as well I think with the 49ers as well I um, yeah inside the locker room and the way they operate it's just it's, it's a totally different level to what we're used to back 
home, I remember going up to uh, the 49ers offices and, and, and organising an interview with Jed York, the, uh, the CEO, the son of the billionaire owner, and to get into the office, there was uh, fingerprint scanning, so it's, uh, yeah, you don't get that at Belmore, definitely. <laughs> they may need it, you never know these days. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, yeah, what about the, 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 the NFL supporter? How would you say, you know, compare an NRL supporter to an NFL supporter? Uh, is there a different sort of breed or they're intrinsically the, the same sort of uh, lunatic fringe society? No, no, I don't mean that. I mean, they are, every code needs a span, but I mean, uh, what are they like? I think it's different. I guess they have the Oakland Raiders, but the San Francisco 49ers, and it's basically one team. through your copy was thinking, gee, maybe there's going to be a full-time round for you here. And you may, and I know you like tennis as well, you may be sort of trying to lay the bed ground for, uh, for, for a US sports correspondence gig. Uh, what, would, what would that be like? What, what was it like covering sport in America and how is it different to here in Australia? Oh, it's, it is. It's totally different. I think it was, um, yeah, to, to get the opportunity to go to New York and the US Open, uh, that was quite, quite an incredible experience, I guess, seeing the way they operate over there and Australian Open in Wimbledon, and um, you know, just like the culture of sport over there, it's all about the show, and I felt that with the US Open compared to some of the other Open, Valley uh, Grand Slam, sorry. Um, and covering the NFL, well, it's, it's the media is treated like royalty. It's not, no, it's not like it is here because over there, you, know, you, you walk in the locker room, the access is, it's, it's completely different. It's open to everyone, and it's sort of get to feel like you're welcome there rather than you're a hindrance but you sort of get that um, in the NRL and I think, I think we can learn a lot from the way they, they operate their media because uh, to the players seeing someone in the locker room, media in the locker room, it's, to them it's normal. Here it's, uh, it's frowned upon if you see someone in the locker room. I think South Sydney trialed it early in the year and I know that the players were happy uh, having media in the locker room so um, yeah, they, uh, they're leading the way in, in that and I guess we've got a lot to learn. Now, obviously, you did say you're covering the US Open. I mean, besides seeing, they say, Jared and the 49ers be so welcoming and calm and, you know, in light of the normality of the story, but over at the US Open, you know, the uh, Aussie tennis players, another extreme of, uh, I guess, character and personality, albeit they're, they're pretty young kids growing up. I mean, what was it like going from one extreme, having to cover someone who's so calm as Jared and then and accommodating and then... Um, Get into the tennis there and you've some, some fireworks. What's going to happen? It's, uh, it was interesting. I think um, it probably would have uh, escalated if Kyrgios hadn't uh, been knocked out in the first round. But uh, look, personally, I get along with Nick and I think that um, yeah, while he, he has a lot to learn about the way he handles himself on court, there are some things to like about the way he plays. I don't think, uh, I don't think he should change you know, the way he... The enthusiasm he plays the sport, the passion is probably... Um, yeah, is on the right track, but I just think he's got to learn when to when to use it and when to sort of rein in a little bit. So um, Bernard Tomic as well. I, I don't think you'll meet a nicer guy at a press conference. He'll come in, he'll say that every single person there, and when he walks out, he'll 
to thank everyone, which, which you don't see um, very often um, on the tennis round. So, uh, I think they're a little bit misunderstood, but they do have a lot to do. They both admit it. Um, yeah, the vast difference to Jared Hayne, though, in terms of media training. Jared is a lot more switched on, and in the, in the end, he, he was the one saying, I know you're trying to get stories out of me, and I'm going to give you nothing. So, he, uh, he's had nine years of experience. So, yeah, Nick, Nick and Bernie have a lot to learn. You certainly managed to get the stories, whatever you know, roadblocks they try to put in front of you or not. I'm Rupert Guinness. We're talking with Michael Chamas from the Sydney Morning Herald, who's just back from the US, and you're listening to What a Ride. We'll just take a short commercial break. Stay tuned.
with me in, on the line direct from the USA is, uh, I was about to say Jared Hayne, but no, Aaron S. Lee. And, uh, but well, we did... I, I, do get, I get confused. I get confused a lot. People do stop me on the streets of New Orleans. And so you, Jared Hayne, I said, no, mate, I'm not. They, and they, 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 they actually, uh, I have to do a little bit of convincing, but, uh, you know, six foot two, 220 pounds, <laughs> and good looking 27 year old. You can see where people would get, uh, confused by that, Rick. Yeah, you have, you're not wearing number 38, are you? Or have, have, you had to, have you had that tattooed or something? But I got to tell you, I think a lot of people right now are wearing number 38 because uh, he's making quite an impression on the U.S. fan base. And from what I've read in the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, amongst some of the uh, female fans, so to speak. Well, <laughs> well, look, uh, I, I think that story is still yet to be told. The full, well, you know, how that's well, what's going to happen with his private life. I don't know, but you know, Jared, to be. All, <laughs> To be fair to Jared, he he is very uh, spiritual, religious guy, and uh, he's committed to uh, his religion, and he's committed to um, I guess what's now his other religion, which is football, NFL. And uh, Michael Chamis's uh, remarks I thought were kind of really interesting. There, you know, uh, that was an interesting insight. But you know, the other part, big element of of this story is, you know, there was suddenly a lot of reactions from um, managers or Jared Haynes' manager in the U.S., but also other managers and experts saying. You know, we should start tapping into uh, rugby league in Australia, and also at the Rugby World Cup, some of these agents have gone over there to try and talent scout for uh, for the next Jared Hayne. I mean, is 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 that too simplistic? Do you think, Aaron, or do you think it's something which uh, there could be a flood of, uh, or maybe not a flood, maybe a, a constant trickle of, of supply of players? Well, listen, I, I think it. I think it could be. It's a. It's a. It is a. It's a tall task. Um, it, but obviously, Jared is proving that it can be done. And, and when I say it's a tall task, it's definitely not for the lack of talent that's in Australia or, or countries like New Zealand. Obviously, um, there is a wealth of phenomenal talent. But to play at the level of the NFL without any prior American gridiron football experience, it is at that level, it's tough, as it would be for, for some of the best American football players to all of a sudden take up rugby. It'd be, you know, it'd be, it'd be tough for them as well. So I think that's one thing that um, we have to keep in mind, but definitely the talent does exist. Yeah, because I think, I think the other thing too, that it's, it's in, in the uh, hiatus of, of the story, the success story that it has become as, and, uh, and, and I'm sure there's, someone's going to be writing a script for a movie for it one day, but I think it's easy to forget um, the, the, how much Jared, you know, had to have that want and desire. And he, well, there would have been a lot of low, low times as well when he was just, you know, like he said, he, you know, in a car, not knowing where he's going to go to today to try and find a place to train and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's not just about putting your hand up and hoping a contract will come to you. You've got to really be willing to make a sacrifice, which he ostensibly did by turning his back on a two million dollar NRL contract. So, I mean. Um, it's not just about switch, turning the switch and putting on pads and a helmet, and uh, you know, and then turning up at uh, Levi Stadium. No, no, you're exactly right. I would, as a journalist, I would never be faced with that type of uh, situation or decision. So I, I can't even put myself in his shoes of what actually he turned down and uh, to, to pursue his own dream of playing in the NFL. But uh, uh, good on you, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, uh, Michael Chamis, we spoke to, uh, who we listened to before. I sort of asked him about this sort of, you know, uh, question as well because Michael follows NRL as well and he's got a pretty good feel as to 
the uh, the environment from both sides of the fence there, NRL and now NFL. Uh, let's have a listen to see what uh, Michael had to say about that and uh, a little bit more about the uh, Jared Haynes story and what it was like for him to follow it. Welcome back to What A Ride. I'm Rupert Guinness, your host for this episode. And with me is Michael Chamas from the Sydney Morning Herald, who's just come back from a month, almost a month in, in the US, uh, where uh, he was following the story of Jared Hain, the Hain plane, and his uh, pursuit of a career in the NFL and also covering the US Open. Michael, thanks for being on the show again. And, um, well, still on the show, I should say. You didn't go anywhere in that uh, little break we had. Um, tell me, like, obviously, now Jared's up and running. I guess he's probably quite happy now to be calm, where he can just focus on the natural thing environment without, as you said before, being a slow service, following every step he makes.
deal with the NRL.
your stories are still up online on SPH.com.au, so anyone who wants to, uh, who, who missed the story during uh, his Michael's trip,
to What A Ride. You're listening to myself, Rupert Guinness, with uh, Still On The Line, racking up a massive telephone bill, I'm sure, is Aaron S. Lee. Aaron, look, it's been great uh, having you back on the show for longer than, a, than a, a quick call or whatever, mate. You've got to get back to Australia soon. We need to sort of get this going together. I was about to say cheek to cheek, but how about uh, glass to glass anyway? Hey, um, uh, <laughs> before, before, I know you're not back for a few weeks yet, but I know you're taking a route back to Australia through Taiwan. I am indeed, Rupe. And, I, and first, a big shout-out to Telstra for an amazing international travel package plan that allows me to call you <laughs> at a base break. So, it's, so a big shout-out to Telstra, and feel free, Telstra, to sponsor the show. Uh, we'd love to have you on one ride. Uh, <laughs> that said, yes, I, I am going to Taiwan. I'll be going to Taiwan for the King of the Mountain Challenge, third year in a row uh, that I'll, I'll, I'll be going to cover this event. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great way to kind of wrap up the season. Season, it's, it's very casual. Um, it's a one-day sportive. It's not UCI sanctioned. However, what I do understand is that UCI have been invited, will attend this year to potentially the, 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 the Taiwan Cycling Federation and the Taiwan Tourism Bureau have aspirations that this will become a UCI event within the next two to three years. Yeah. So it, it is an amazing event. It's considered probably the hardest one-day bike ride, uh, bike race um, in the world. There's a million Taiwanese uh, dollars on the line, and I think that's probably about, I don't know, about five or six bucks, Aussie. But it's, look, it's, <laughs> and, and, I, and I say that in jest, but no, it's, it's actually quite a handsome uh, sum. It's about 32000 I believe, last time I did the, the calculation. Um, so there's a, there's a, a good prize money, and it's, uh, it's basically a 100-kilometer bike race, and they go from zero elevation to 3,275 meters atop Mount Wooling, and it's uh, basically the uh, the tallest mountain accessible by road in Taiwan. It wasn't until that I went to Taiwan a few years back that I realized that Taiwan has over 200 mountains that exceed 3,000 meters in elevation. Wow! So it's a it's a bright mountainous area, and they climb through the, the they obviously ride the first 40k through Taropa Gorge, which is straight out of Jurassic Park, and every bend and turn you just expect the Tyrannosaurus Rex to, to come down and and, and grab you. Uh, by the scruff of your neck, but um, and then you, you you start the climb about 40k in, and then it just gets steeper and steeper. You you you, you ride through the the picturesque sea of clouds. They say at about 2,000 meters, and then in the final 10 kilometers, there are gradient spikes of over 29 percent. My God, I nearly fell off my chair. Then listen yeah. to that. Absolutely. And then speaking of Simon Clark, he rode it. Uh, he, he raced the, the, uh, the Taiwan King of Challenge a couple of years back. Uh, last year, Tiffany Cromwell raced it. Uh, I believe it was her second year, right? I'm not sure if Tiffany Yeah, because um, I remember she did, she did the year before, but she took a camera, didn't she? She started, you know, taking pictures. She did. <laughs> Yeah, and this, this last year, she took it a little bit more seriously. She actually got caught up in a bike race, uh, excuse me, a crash. Uh, but she, in typical Tiff Cromwell fashion, her and a fellow Aussie, Joanne Hogan, yep. um, they battled it out. And, and, and of course, uh, I'm not mistaken, I think Joanne Hogan, Joe Hogan, she finished in the top top five and, and Tiff finished in the top ten. Um, it, it, it was also unique about this race, Rube, is that the, the elite men and women and elite and the excuse me age group men and women all race at the same time wow That's, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's 
quite interesting. Um, but it's a great one-day event, and uh, obviously we get to go there for a few days and explore and enjoy Taiwan. It's an amazing country. What I'm disappointed in, though, is I was originally supposed to go to Langkawi, uh, just right prior to Taiwan, for a five-day mountain bike stage race. And uh, some funding fell through by the Cycling Federation and the Tourism Bureau, and the race has been canceled in the, in the final two weeks. So that's a, it's a yeah. real shame, and hopefully they get that bike race up and going. Always love going to Langkawi for any race. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's, I've never been to Langkawi, you know, for, for the race yet. Uh, and there's, there's also a new, another new tour on uh, this year on the calendar, which is uh, uh, soon to start, which is the Tour of Abu Dhabi, which um, I had been hoping to go to myself, and I know you were as well. But uh, I guess we we'll have to see that let that race sort of run its course and see, you know, what the response to it is. Um, it's a busy calendar, isn't it, Aaron? It's just like the the year, the year is so chock full of uh, races. It's hard to keep a tab of every single event. It is. It really is. And, of course, right now, China, the Tour of China 1, Tour of China 2. Um, there's so many races going on at the moment. And, uh, of course, Richie Port, was, has been still, he's still been racing as well. The guys are racing over in Europe. I think yeah. uh, the, the season seems to be getting longer and longer. And, of course, for, for, for guys like you and I, when we, when we think the season's over, then the, 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 the domestic summer series starts in Australia uh, for both cycling and triathlon. It just stays busy year-round. But I guess that's... I guess that's good job security for us, though, huh? Yep, that's uh, that's we've got to keep smiling, got to be happy for that, and uh, and, and also just another another race which uh, which uh, will be uh, unfolding uh, will have will have been raced by the time uh, our listeners uh, listen to this episode uh, is the Giro di Lombardia Tour of Lombardy, the fifth of the five monuments, one day classics, and uh, it's a race which um, I've uh, covered many times when I was living over there, and uh, I loved it. It was a beautiful race, a very hilly race, obviously, but. Um, w- one of my concerns is uh, with all the uh, changing of the calendar and everything that there's uh, the Giro di Lombardia has lost a little bit of its um, uh, the focus and attention that it really deserves because it is a beautiful race and and it is still a monument. We only have five monuments and I just really think there should be a, a massive effort to try and regenerate um, the luster and importance of this race on the world calendar as as everyone else is looking everywhere else in the world. But um, it deserves to be up there with. Of the uh, of the level with Paris-Roubaix and Flanders and Milan San Remo, of which it is uh, officially, but I just think it needs that sort of uh, little bit of uh, spotlight back on it. Well, actually, well, one way to get that spotlight is to, by all means, mention it on what a ride. Yeah. Get the people out there uh, tuning in for it, and and uh, I believe that's on Eurosport. Yep, on Eurosport, and if we get well, hopefully by the time we're uh, people listen to this, we've had an Aussie winner. Because I think uh, Simon Gerrans is well, he's down to race it, and uh, let's uh, an Aussie winner creates a lot of attention back here, doesn't it? So uh, let's cross our fingers. Absolutely. Hey, Aaron, look, it's been a great show, mate. It's been great talking to you, and thanks so much for uh, staying on the line. I know it's uh, it's a it's a long way, and it's the evening there, your time. You have to start getting out and kicking out in the town and New Orleans, and. um, I do. It's a it's a busy night tonight. Uh, gonna go watch the. Uh, it is it is um, Saturday evening at seven p.m. Uh, and then we're gonna watch the uh, Florida Gators play the the twenty fifth ranked Florida Gators play the I think number three ranked uh, Ole Miss Rebels uh, this evening. And then hopefully tomorrow, my New Orleans Saints uh, will snap their um, their wingless. 
start to the season and uh, hopefully put a, a win on the board. So uh, against the, the dreaded and hated Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, if my dad's listening to that, uh, he, he'd probably ground me. <laughs> obviously, the Cowboys are his, his, his team. So, um, no, it's going to be a big weekend. Well, look, I've been... Uh... Uh, up early, I was like I told you, I've watched the uh, Wallabies beat uh, England uh, in their third of their four pool games, but that means that the Wallabies will now be playing Wales in their last pool game uh, at Twickenham next uh, next weekend, um, but both Wales and uh, the Wallabies are through to the quarterfinal, through the pool of death. England are out in their first, it's the first home nation to miss out on the finals in a World Cup, so that's been big news, there's going to be massive fallout. Uh, with jobs and everything in, on the English team. That's going to be dissected many times during the uh, the week. And then we get down to the crunch phase, the quarterfinals. Well, you're right. And by the way, that's, that's quite embarrassing for the England, for the, for the England squad. But mm. uh, the Wallabies have better watch out because the other team that beat England was Wales. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Both both will get into the quarterfinals though now. But hey, you don't want to start losing. You might as well keep winning. And uh, and, and, it, and it's a very important game for their uh, for their trajectory into the quarterfinals as to which teams uh, uh, Wales and the Wallabies will play. So the, the result is very important. And um, uh, another little interesting story while we're talking, Japan they beat Samoa, so they've won two games uh, in uh, this this year's World Cup. Japan was the team that uh, surprised, gave the surprise of the tournament uh, at the beginning when they beat South Africa. So Eddie Jones uh, is coaching them, and they're still in with a chance of making the quarters. Uh, and also the NRL Grand Finals on this afternoon. So I'm about to go out for a run shortly, my friend Aaron S. Lee, and then uh, settle back in for more footy this afternoon. Oh, fantastic. Sounds like the life, mate. Sounds like the life. And always a pleasure, and it's always great talking to you, buddy. Okay, likewise. You take care, my friend. Hey, thank you. Have a great day, and what a ride. <laughs> what a ride. Well, we've got to the end of another episode. We've uh, had to sign off from Aaron in the US. As we know, he has to get to dinner. Uh, it's, it's in the evening time there in the US. But uh, we hope you've enjoyed this show. There's so much happening. It just seems like a week goes past so quickly, or a month goes past so quickly, however way you want to look at it. I'm really excited about what's going to happen in the Ironman. You know, the, uh, the, the race is such a hard and demanding event, and what sets it apart from all the other Ironman races is not just the heat and the wind, albeit they're very uh, important factors in the race which can make or break you, but a bit like the Tour de France in the world of cycling, it's the event. It's the biggest event on the calendar, and the pressure and expectation and the hopes that all come with it can, uh, as I said, make or break your day. How you handle that pressure, whether you're a, a professional or an age grouper just trying to do your best, it's, uh, it's such a big day. Um, having had the uh, privilege of having been there myself twice, for good and for bad, um, it's, it is a great time. And I, I, hopefully I'll get back there one day and before I reach the 76 age group bracket too. But uh, in between, we're going to have all the, uh, in the world of footy, I guess there's going to be all the dissecting of performances, whether you're an AFL fan, an NRL fan, or a rugby union fan. The big crunch games have happened this weekend. Uh, the Rugby World Cup, though, is just still building momentum. One more week of pool games, and uh, then we get into the knockout phase. The Wallabies, as we've said, are in the knockout phase. Uh, whatever happens on next week's game against Wales, because Wales and Australia have qualified now because of the points they've, they've garnered over their first three games. The big shock news was England bowing out the first home nation to ever 
not make the finals. Rest assured, there's going to be a lot said and written and uh, debated over the next week about that. And uh, in the world of cycling, we'll be able to look back on who did what in the uh, Giro de Lombardia, the last and the fifth monument on the international cycling calendar, a one-day classic in Italy. It's one of the most beautiful races in the world. As I said before, it's a race that I'm concerned about uh, because the, uh, the, the cluttering of the race calendar at this moment and uh, with the Giro de Lombardia being the only monument uh, that's held in autumn, in the European autumn, um, whereas the four other monuments are all held in, uh, in the spring of Europe. So it sort of gets lost a little bit like that uh, from the calendar. And when it's a cluttered calendar, um, the spotlight of attention tends to get uh, diluted or spread across a number of other new events as well. And then uh, apart from that, we'll be, before we know it, we'll be heading into the summer sports here in Australia. There'll be swim, there'll be ride, there'll be run, uh, bike races, there'll be triathlons, um, a lot of sailing too. Uh, we won't give too much away, but we will try and get a little bit of sailing in later in the year. With the weather getting much warmer here and uh, you know a lot of people getting outdoors, doing whatever they want to do, um, it's a great time of year in Australia. And I know up in Europe and the US as it gets darker, by the day, um, rest assured, just keep your hope that spring's not too far away and your winter will not be too cold for you. Certainly the Christmas period will be fast upon us and you'll all get a chance to have some festive spirits then, I'm sure, whether you're in the sun or whether you're in the cold. As for me, uh, this is Rupert Guinness uh, signing off for another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly have. It's been a great ride, another great ride, and... Uh, what can I say, but what a ride, and stay safe, and don't forget, a meter matters. Thanks.
Just like heaven